The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. So when they experienced that and we found that that's what kept this thing alive because women shared it with women and it was tangible. You could feel it on yourself. I'm not talking about taking a drug or any other thing that you need double blind placebo studies. You can take off your bra and feel it for yourself. And when you feel healthier, you'll know your bra was harming you. Now, that doesn't prove cancer. And frankly, I'm not trying to prove it to these women. I'm trying to help them. I think it's with the, there have been now dozens of studies. There was even a meta-analysis. There was enough studies, a meta-analysis that said sleeping in a bra definitely causes cancer. Okay. Oh, wow. Now, yeah. unfortunately, they did not include in that. And now they included this, this one study that I got to mention because this is the elephant in the room study. So for the National Cancer Institute to justify all these years of saying bullshit, 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 no evidence, pseudoscience, Ignore this man, ignore the man behind the curtain, ignore this, okay? That's what they would, finally, because it was growing and growing and growing because women were seeing it's right, they did a study in 2014, one study. They did it at the Fred Hutchison Cancer Research Center, and this is how it went down. They only looked at postmenopausal women over 55. Okay who were lifetime bra users, no bra-free women, and everyone was over 55. Now, what's the problem with that? This very interesting history on this, because they contacted me before they even came out with their published study. Hutchison yes. contacted me to know how I'd react, because they were going to do a big press release, and the whole world was going to copy them and say, oh, yeah, bras don't cause breast cancer. So they wanted to know how I react. What's interesting is, while they never referenced my research or any other studies, they referenced one study that happened in 1991 out of Harvard okay. in the European Journal of Cancer. That study was not directly on bras and breast cancer. That was on breast cancer related to handedness, like right or left-handed, okay, and breast size. And Interesting. they used bra size as an indicator of breast size, even though that's okay. not good because they wear the wrong size, but right. that's what they did, Okay. Coincidentally, they discovered that bra-free women in their group, the few that they had, yes. had half the rate of breast cancer. Or put differently, hmm. the bra wearers had 100% higher risk than the other group, than the bra-free women. And they didn't know why. And they thought maybe it was, maybe they're thinner and smaller chested so they don't wear bras, which they don't have evidence for. They had no data for that. It was a guess. So they're thinking it might be because of that. 
because of breast size and they tend to not wear bras and, and large-breasted women have a higher rate of cancer and maybe that's why they have a lower rate. They were just guessing to explain that anomaly, which made no sense because in their study, they found that breast size was only a factor in postmenopausal women, not premenopausal. Mm. And they saw this effect of lower cancer rate in bra-free women only in premenopausal women where breast size isn't a factor. So that study was sort of forgotten. I didn't even know about that study. I was told about that study when my book came out. I had to write about this in a book because right. everyone was ignoring me. I sent this out to all the, the medical people, even the National Organization of Women. I sent it out like, you got to know about this. I was completely ignored. So I had to go to a publish, to a regular book. I got a publisher and we went out and tried called Dress to Kill, The Link Between Breast Cancer and Bras. And then when that, that was the book that they threatened a lawsuit and so forth and so on. And, um, but that's what I felt I needed to do to get the word out. Now, 2014, they're studying, they mentioned that study that only yes. found premenopausal women had a lower rate of breast cancer if they were bra free. Right. So what did they study? Postmenopausal, Postmenopausal women. <laughs> where there wasn't an effect. And what does that do? That also introduces a, what's called a survivor bias. In other words, I could find you a group of 90-year-old smokers and drinkers, and that doesn't mean smoking and drinking is good for you. It means that all the people that it was bad for already died before they got to that group. Mm. So when you select a group of old bra wearers, then that group, the women who have succumbed to the bra are younger than that group. You've eliminated them, and that's called a survivor bias because if they've made it, some people can survive the worst of things for some reason. You know, who right. So you don't, so you don't want to look at lifestyle caused diseases in older populations. You think that makes sense because, oh, if it's cumulative, then by then they'd certainly be dead if it's a problem. Right. No, because some people can survive it and they're the ones that you're selecting for. So you're actually getting a group that's selected to not react to the thing you're looking at. And so it gives you a total bias. Right. So those two, so they're looking for that bias. They created that. And then the biggest problem. No bra-free control group. None. That's right. And then That's they're comparing right. their groups of women, whether they wore their bra all of those years, and they're asking them retrospective questions, which is a problem too. But they said, okay, and they broke it up into categories of like 11 and a half hours to 13 hours, 13 to 15. I mean, they made these weird categories. And then they said, we didn't see any difference. Therefore, mm. bras don't cause breast cancer. Right. And they said that, that, you know, they admitted their flaws. They admitted no bra-free control group, but they, they, didn't, they didn't admit the survivor bias. But then their conclusion was that, you know, there's no problem. And we didn't think this was a problem anyway. So it was a bias study designed to beat this up. Then it went through the media. Bras don't cause breast cancer. Study shows. And that's the one that's used by the American Cancer Society and said there's no other, there's no evidence supporting this. And it doesn't even make sense. What I've told you, the physiology, and I just told you to the American Medical Association is ridiculous. And they don't even want to explain why. And they're taking this attitude. And I spoke with the communications director at the ACS. And he told me that the bar is really high on this. They're going to need a whole bunch of studies saying it's right before they're willing to put their necks out on the line and say bras are causing breast cancer. Right, and that but, could be a very expensive endeavor. Yes. However, what I have against them is they shouldn't be saying it doesn't. 
They should be saying more research is needed, which I will agree with. Yes. They should be saying some studies say there is an effect. And I don't mind if they want to say that one study said there isn't, but they better not say that that's like a gold standard study because it isn't done by a graduate student, by the way, to have an easy fall person. Right. Um, But that they should be admitting that more research is needed, that this is a possibility that some studies have shown, including the the direct title. Uh, There's a Brazilian Brazilian, um, gynecologist who teaches at the school, medical school, is well-referenced research person, does a lot of studies. She says, she did a study on this, and it's called bra wearing, uh, no, wearing uh, tight bras for long hours daily increases breast cancer risk. I mean, direct, she studied it, boom. boom. She said she had so much trouble getting that published. Any pet publication with the word bras and breast cancer in it, forget it, censored. She had a really hard time. She had to go to omics or one of those predatory journals that yeah. you could pay to get your... Yeah, and then they discounted. And of nobody, course. but her other stuff is not on those. She's a well-respected, but she couldn't get this thing published. Well, I the do agree. I do agree that there needs to absolutely be more research because this is very compelling information. So there have been women, obviously, who have paid attention and women have, have given up, thrown away, burned, just trashed their Victoria's Secrets, their La Perla, their Cosabella, their Agent Provocateurs, their Kiki de Montparnasse, you know, bras. They, these are beautiful works of art, some of them. So what so would you say, what would you say is like one of the more poignant stories that you've heard? One of the more poignant stories of success or of, of regaining health um, that you've heard from one of these women? Oh, I've heard it from a lot of women. In, in, they, they, it, it changes their lives. Mm. I mean, of all the things you can do, when you think about your breast appearance, your appearance, your breasts are an important part of it. A woman's identity is often tied in with their breast appearance, which means that it's like owned by their viewer, not by themselves. And they start worrying about their appearance. By liberating yourself from that on a spiritual level and an emotional level and a physical level, you release a tremendous amount of suppressed energy in all respects, in all respects. And I don't care if you go to Eastern medicine, which will say, yeah, compression is bad for the body. I mean, everybody knows about this in every medicine. Your grandmother knew about this. Don't wear anything tight. It's not good for you. Obviously, this tight pants syndrome where these tight jeans people are wearing is causing nerve damage down their legs. I mean, we know tight is bad, but for some reason, the tight body look, the spandex, all of that. Body has be It's sexualized. It's yes. sold. And you got to realize something, too. This is a fetish. We're talking about sex involved in all this, which is why it's been a big difficulty. Some researchers, I, this one guy at NIH called me after he retired. He actually contacted me and he said, I really like your work and I really agree with you and I wanted to do a study. But my colleague, who is a woman thought I was a pervert wanting to see mm. her without a bra or something. Mm. So it was an embarrassment to even say, let's look at whether bras are doing it, that women should be bra free. The way the culture was back in the, it's not that way now as much. It was that way 30 years ago, much more prudish, prudish nature in this culture. I mean, you can't, you still can't show a nipple without blurring the image. Right. You still, th- this culture is still really hung up on breasts and, because of that hangup, anytime you have a cultural hangup, you're going to get disease. That's because you can't talk about it. It's taboo. And taboo subjects are 
are, are never really rationally thought about. And when anybody does bring it up, everyone giggles. So it's this immaturity factor, even among doctors, many of whom wear bras. And the first thing they think when I tell them this is, oh my God, I'm going to have to get rid of my bra. This is true. And if they don't want to, they go into denial and the medical industry is there to help them go into denial. But I'll tell you something good about the bra industry, some of them. There are now patents, numerous, that actually cite my book and my research to justify their new designs that are less constrictive. Um, One, for example, which I, it's a funny story. She went on TV, a Good Morning America she made a claim that her bra would prevent breast cancer, which is a mistake. Yeah. But she really supported what I was doing, and she went a little too far. And right. they had a product called the Brassage, which was – and this woman um, was the daughter of Christina that um, – Olga Braz. Okay. Olga Braz, which is a famous bra man. Olga died of breast cancer, by the way. Oh, uh, but boy. her – yeah, I mean – so it's a little, you know, I guess justice or something. But anyway, she, her daughter went into the bra business and went into this and did the brassage with a chiropractor. And they thanked mm-hmm. me for my research. It was little pads inside the bra that are supposed to massage your breasts. It was crazy. And it leaves round welts on your breasts when you take the bra off. Oh, it boy. never sold. But she was there trying to promote it. And boy, did she get drummed off. She actually walked off live. And she couldn't oh, wow. deal with the pressure. So, but that's years ago. New bra companies... The big things they're promoting are non-toxic fabrics, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cotton, hemp, silk. Yes. You want to stay away from anything synthetic. Yes. You want to stay away from synthetic um, dyes. Those are all, some of them are really toxic. Like black. There was a question, can black bras cause cancer? And it was like, oh, that's ridiculous. Actually, the black dyes are carcinogenic. So bras oh, wow. delivering, you know, those carcinogens to your tissue. So it's... Um, the, the, um, I think the bottom line is the medical industry is, uh, uh, is act- so while the bra industry is coming up with new products, they're coming up with less constrictive designs. If you notice, if you go bra shopping, there are less underwire bras. Yes. But when, women shouldn't go, and that's because of this. Women want comfort. The way the industry is dealing with it, they can't directly say this will prevent breast cancer because the right. American Cancer Society will jump down their throats. Absolutely. They should, but the American society is wrong. But unfortunately, who holds their feet to the fire? They are the authority, and we live in an authoritarian culture. So who holds the – what happens when your authorities are corrupted? I mean, what do you do? This is corruption. There is no question about it. You cannot tell women. On their website, they say there is no evidence to support this. Well, this would be an interesting, interesting experiment. Maybe the – the heads of these bra companies, if they are men, maybe they should wear bras for a month and see what happens and how they feel. I want to do that. In fact, I wanted the thermography people to do something like this. The thermography people can see the bra effect on the breast because of the heat signature, and it's really obvious. So yes. actually, thermographers all know about bras. That's how I met you, through a thermographer. They know right. about bras and breast cancer. And right. they, um, you know, so... If, if women could see, they need to know that the problem with thermography, you know, the bra is affecting the breast. You take it off this heat. Right. So um, from the bra, how long do you keep the bra off before you take the thermogram? And then right. if you put the bra back on, are you really seeing what it's doing to you? The, the process of heating and what it's happening. So 
I, I think there's so much work that needs to be done on this issue, but we're not going to get it done with a corrupted American Cancer Society and National Cancer Institute. And there's there's no reason, there's no that they shouldn't just say this subject is a legitimate one to pursue. But because they've taken the strong position they have, right? Any researcher that wants to pursue it knows two things. Number one, they're going to lose their NIH grants. Mm-hmm. And number two, they're not going to get published. So you don't go against the system if you're invested in being in it and keeping your income stream. So when you have a culturogenic disease, the only reason this is controversial is because it, because the emperor has no clothes and it's embarrassing the authorities who are ignoring the most obvious factor affecting breast health in women today, which is bra usage. And the emperor definitely doesn't have on a bra. <laughs> so, That's right. That's the only good thing about it. Yeah. It, Let's about talk the, about yeah. a few other cultural shifts because you are the director of the uh, Culturogenic Institute. So your research, um, you research, you and your wife research the impact of cultural norms and, and changes on society's health and wellness. So what would you say, um, how does modern culture affect, you know, a list of the, the following phenomena? Are they correlated? So let's just um, say the association between sunscreen and cancer. Is there a culturogenic effect or association? Oh, I mean, we're um, wearing sunscreen to prevent yeah. skin cancer. Oh, no, that, that sunscreen is a problem uh, for sure. And the thing that people don't realize is the UV rays of the sun are going to transform any chemical on your skin and actually create new chemicals that aren't in the original thing. It's chemical reaction that occurs. So the kind of things that happen on your skin when you're in the sun is, is more, you're going to get more chemicals on your skin from the sun's effect, the ultraviolet rays breaking down chemicals and forming new chemicals in your skin. So there's a lot of problem. And I've seen study after study that have said skin cancer is increased by, by sunscreen, but you never hear about them again because it's a huge sunscreen industry. Sydney, you are blowing my mind. Now, what about the association between tampons and dysplasia oh. or abnormal cells? Yeah, I've written about that too. Um, yeah, I, I had an interesting experience with that. It was actually a family member that brought me to that. She was a teenager and she she suddenly went and and, and she was told like at the age of 18 that she had cervical dysplasia and should be like checked for cervical cancer and scared the sh- you know the shit out of this girl. And I found out, you know, I, I asked her first thing, the first thing I think is, what are we doing? What did you do to your, that part of your body? Right. So what do women do? So I said, are you using a tampon? And she said, yes. And it's like, boom, that explains it. Take that tampon, put it in your cheek of your mouth and put it there for five days. Do you know how raw your cheek is going to be? You know, when you go to the dentist and they put gauze in your mouth? Oh, Yeah. All right, so imagine mucous membrane with a tampon in your mouth stuck in there for five days. You could pull it in and out if you want with a new one. You can imagine how irritated it's going to be. Well, dysplasia is a function of irritation. So the head of the, the cervix is being constantly rubbed by the, by the tampon. And not, not to mention the chemicals in the tampon that can cause toxic shock and other problems, which is a bacterial infection that, that's very harmful for women. So there's another problem. And, and she got rid of the tampon and she had no problem and went away. It's like what about remove, menopause and sweating? Okay. That one, I did a study actually um, at, I, I got, I was, did this when I was in Canada, in Victoria, BC. I got the, the Y, the YM, uh, the YWCA yes. to let us have use of their steam room. And I got women volunteers who had menopausal hot flashes that nothing was helping. And I had them take a steam sweat. 
uh, regularly. Yeah. And this is the reasoning. Menopause is uh, a time when you stop menstruating. Right. Menstruation is actually, in addition to what you, it, we know it to be, it's really an elimination process. Yes. And so you're eliminating. So you can get toxins out. I mean, the endometrium is, can take a lot of nutrients and absorb a lot of things. And when you have that time of the month, your body swells with estrogen, the tissues get flushed, and a lot of these toxins can get implanted in the uterus and then released in the endometrium. And now you've flushed and cleansed out. Now, what happens when you stop doing that? You've lost a mode of detoxification. Mm -hmm. Now, add to that that women in our culture are sweat phobic. We don't want to sweat. We have a problem sweating, and we use antiperspirants all the time. So here we have a low sweating woman. So she's already now she reduced that form of elimination and she's no longer menstruating, but -hmm. she's still taking in toxins and being toxic and like everybody, like a man. So what ends up happening? She gets toxic and suddenly her body goes into a hot flash to make her sweat. Sweating is another form of elimination. Yes. So the reason I reason that women are having hot flashes and night sweats spontaneously because their bodies are toxic. So what if we have them sweat and detoxify on their own schedule on a regular basis and get, get the crap out so they don't have to do it in the middle of the night? And it worked. And then I found out that patients with AIDS get night sweats, probably from toxification, toxicity from the medications they were taking. Mm-hmm. And the way to get rid of that effect was to make was hyperthermia treatment to make them sweat. So... I got rid of, so menopausal hot flashes are caused by detox, by toxification of the body through the loss of elimination from menstrual flow. And you need to just sweat. So go and do whatever it takes to get your body temperature up to do a therapeutic sweat, steam bath, sauna. You don't want to exercise to do it because that increases the need to eliminate as well, increases your toxin load. But if you just take a therapeutic sweat, you're relaxing in, in a hot bath or in a steam or sauna. And of course, you want to rehydrate with you know electrolytes and everything, but that helps eliminate that. I'll okay, tell you one more. Thing. What? A, oh, yeah. What about the way you sleep and health? Oh, that's a big deal. Oh my God, <laughs> Shirley, you're just wanting too much for this one call. Uh, <laughs> head of, uh, that's a, that's an important one with head of bed elevation because your brain circulation is affected by gravity, and yes. when you're lying flat, the brain congests and gets gets pressure. Astronauts have this problem because of zero gravity, mm-hmm. which you simulate on Earth by having people lie flat where the heart and brain are on the same level. So when you're lying down too flat, your brain is getting pressurized. Your neck veins stick out. Your whole head is getting pressure. Your sinuses get pressure. Your eyes get baggy. And your brain basically can't circulate well because the only thing pushing the bl- blood through is the pumping of the heart through your head, through the whole cerebral circulation and back down. When you stand up, suddenly gravity helps pull it back down and resists the flow. So when you lie down, your blood pressure has to go down or you're going to blow a blood vessel and get a stroke, which most oh, people do in the middle of the night at like three in the morning because they've been down all night and their head pressure is high. So what I did was I was thinking, could this cause migraines? Because in a migraine, and I did a migraine study, in, a, in migraines, there's a brain flush is how I reasoned it. What happens is the blood vessels in the neck open and your brain just gets pressurized. And why would that happen? And in the morning, if anything happens in the morning, it's because something you did overnight. Overnight. So right. I. So what, what did you do? You're lying flat. What would that accomplish? Well, the migraine does several things. 
it flushes the fluid out of your brain faster. So if your brain is going into hypoxia and hypoglycemia, you know, low oxygen and low sugar, because it's sitting there basically with poor circulation all night, with just, just congested, and that and you wake up in the morning, you're groggy, your brain is soggy, your eyes and sinuses are full. When people raise the head of their bed, and by the way, NASA found 30-degree head of the bed elevation. They've been mm-hmm. studying this. 30 <laughs> degrees is optimal for both brain and heart circulation. But if you raise the head of your bed just by putting like um, 6 to 12 inches of blocks under the top of your bed to make an incline plane, the next morning, you'll feel it. You'll be, I, you'll get, I sleep like this all the time. And I've done studies. We did on migraineurs and they stopped their migraines. It wow. worked. And if you look at all the other conditions associated with increased brain pressure, it includes Alzheimer's, stroke, sleep apnea, which they already treat with head of bed elevation, glaucoma, which is treated with head of bed elevation. That's eye pressure. Why is the eye getting pressurized? When you're down, your eye pressure is high. When you raise your head, your eye pressure goes down. People are sleeping too flat. You don't need to take all the, and I've spoken with Glaucoma Foundation on this and they agreed with me, but they're selling a new glaucoma treatment. So (laughs) that's the problem. And I'll give you one more bonus answer that you didn't ask for. Yes. By the way, everyone can get this on my, I I post all of my things on academia.edu. And I hope you can provide a link to that. I have over a hundred articles of all sorts of interesting things, culturogenic problems, health problems, and culture problems. That I really recommend that. But this is one thing you'll find interesting that, that, I, that you're gonna, I know you're going to like. <laughs> yes. The thyroid and your voice. Ooh. Talk to Why me. Why is your thyroid gland, which is filled with jelly yes. and is easily vibrated, yes. located on your voice box, on your larynx? Right. If it wasn't for vocal modulation of thyroid function, which has what? now been... Yes. It's not just the pituitary. It's not just TSH. There's another, it's your vocalization. When people over vocalize and yell, they blow their thyroid with too much vibration and they get temporarily hyperthyroid. Then they go to the doctor and the doctor will ablate their thyroid and put them on thyroxin. It's because they yelled. And if you stop talking, and nuns have confirmed this when they go into seclusion, they get mm. hypothyroid. So if you have, I think what happens, this is my, and by the way, this is now data proving other studies have shown that tissue culture, thyroids in tissue culture, when you expose them to sonic waves, sound yes. waves, yes. it causes the release of thyroxin. And massage therapists know that if, you, if you've massaged the thyroid, it's right here, if you massage the thyroid, you release thyroxin so they don't massage hyperthyroid people. So mechanical stimulation of the thyroid can actually release thyroxin. Why would the body Put that on a vibrating voice box. Why don't you have it in your abdomen? If it's such a sensitive organ that every cell is affected by thyroxine, it controls metabolism. If you have too much, you have high metabolism and you're thin and you're hyper. And if you have too little, you're fat and lethargic and and you have, you know, it's it's like the opposite. Your, your, Your metabolic rate is low. Why would you put such an important central organ on a voice box that vibrates it? Well, what happens is, we, this is my, my theory, yes. we, we have two, at least these two mechanisms. You have the brain, which stimulates the thyroid, which gives the classic feedback loop to the brain with thyroid-stimulating hormone, and that's what's taught in endocrinology, like one of the first feedback loops. That's what but, I know. That's right, and they stopped at that. 
And by the way, ancient Ayurvedic medicine knows about the thyroid and, and the voice, and they chant for thyroid health. But ah. what, what, yes. So what, you, what happens is you develop with your own voice, your own tone, frequency, and volume that's normal for you. Mm-hmm. You develop a certain baseline amount of vocalization. And by the way, most animals have their thyroids on their voice boxes and they make noises all the time. It's like life is sound and we keep our thyroids healthy by vocalizing. And when, so we then have a baseline of normal thyroid function with the brain also involved. Yes. If you now have a trauma in your life, a lot of women get hypothyroid when they get older and a lot of women get divorced. Their husbands divorce them. They have empty nest syndrome. They're alone. They're unhappy. They're depressed. What's happened to them? They stopped talking. I've known people who sung. They're singers. They go to choir. They like singing. They get depressed. They stop singing. What happens is they start getting low thyroid. And that's because they're not stimulating enough. So I think the brain can compensate for vocal changes to some degree. So if you're going through a period of life where you're doing a lot of vocalization, you might put out less thyroid-stimulating hormone from your pituitary. Okay. But if you then... If you go too much quieter than you're used to being, mm-hmm. you'll have to have more thyroid stimulating hormone. But then there'll be areas where it'll go beyond that. Like right. you're at a ball, like you're, and by the way, thyroid problems happen when people fight, they get hyperthyroid. Mm-hmm. Like spousal fights, they have, they, have, they have stress in their lives, stress. Right, stress. They're going to yell, they're going to yell and scream and stress. It can make their thyroids overactive, they're releasing too much thyroxine, which mm-hmm. is stored in your thyroid. It's ready to be released. This needs to be vibrated out or massaged out, stimulated to come out or chemically stimulated by your brain. But it's not just chemical stimulation, especially for an organ so important as your thyroid. Your body has enough wisdom to have more than one mechanism of controlling it. That's my feeling. But anyway, this makes total sense. And the way to deal with that is if you're having low thyroid, think about in your life if you're talking less than you used to. Become a podcaster. Your... Yes, there you go. <laughs> Read out loud. Speak. Talk more. People are texting instead of talking on the phone. Very People true. used to they used to sing. We used to you look at the old movies like from the 30s, 40s People sang, they danced, they did a lot of things they don't do now. Now we're silent, we're on our iPhones, we text, we don't talk, we don't sing, we're embarrassed to sing. People don't inquire. I used to have that in school. Do they do choir anymore? I mean, so we've changed the culture regarding vocalization, and that's changed the incidence of hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism. Sydney, we are just going to have to have you back. I am so grateful for your time here today. And I'm going to end on this, the one last question, which is called the Fab Five. Now of all the amazing things, compelling things, controversial things that you have said, what would you say are your top five tips for living your most beautiful life? Give me your top five. I know you have okay. many. Okay. Well, I, number one, don't wear anything tight. Okay. I'm writing Num- these down. Number two. Number two. When you sleep, sleep with your head of your bed slightly elevated, and you'll have to read about that or just experiment with it. You'll feel it. Okay. Number three, try to eat a simple diet that doesn't have food additives, that is uh, made of simple ingredients that you know, and that avoids plastic packaging and other things like that that are contaminants and unnatural substances like that. Okay. Number four, 
trusting your body's ability to heal and don't fear what's going on. Try to learn about yourself and be self-sufficient because you cannot trust the medical establishment that makes money when you're sick to keep you well. That's different from doctors who make help make you beautiful, right? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> number well, five. <laughs> number five is realize we are all beautiful. Yes. And if you hang out with people who know that, you'll be happy. And if you hang out with people who don't know that, you'll be sad. And instead of changing your body to fit everyone else, why don't you change your friends to fit your body and accept you for who you are? Wow. Because that's the most important thing. We have to stop conforming to society and start choosing health over all else. Because if you don't have your health, nothing else is going to be good. Nothing. Money, nothing. Even longevity is not good if you're not healthy. That just means you suffer a long time. So you have to try to keep health first, which means you got to pay attention to all the things that the, that the establishment is keeping hidden from you, which includes the link between breast cancer and bras. You oh cannot trust anybody but yourself and your own body. So ultimately, do things that you can prove on yourself and listen to your wisdom of your own body because that's where the truth is. You can't trust anyone else, especially with all the money involved in healthcare. Mm -mm. Sydney, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your insight. Oh my goodness, for your presence on this podcast, for explaining things to us and, prov and providing you know, a different way of thinking and your truth and opening our eyes. I really appreciate your expertise and for ringing the alarm. So to all of our listeners, this brings us to the close of this week's episode of the Forever Fab podcast with my guest, Sydney Ross Singer. Thank you so much, Sydney, for your time. And we will definitely have you back again to talk about all the other things. Okay. Thank you, Shirley. Um, I look forward well. to it. Thank bye -bye. you so very much. Bye-bye. This brings us to our close of this week's episode of the Forever Fab podcast with my guest, Sydney Ross Singer. Do you want to know more about breast health and factors that can contribute to it? First of all, take off your bra. <laughs> Secondly, if you are interested in more, please purchase Sydney's book, Dressed to Kill, on Amazon. That's amazon.com slash dressed to kill. If you like this episode of the Forever Fab podcast, please share it and subscribe to the feed. Did you learn anything new? Review this episode by writing just one word to describe the value you got from listening today and give this episode a super fabulous five-star rating. In case you missed it, listen to past episodes or check out who's coming up next on foreverfabpodcast.com. If you enjoy listening to the Forever Fab podcast, get more audio and visuals with a membership through Patreon. Choose the gold, platinum, or diamond tier for premium added content, special co-hosts, lifestyle videos, branded merchandise, and private access to my clubhouse by visiting patreon.com slash foreverfab. If you are a founder or represent a beauty brand and want to be featured on an episode of Forever Fab podcast segment of 15 Minutes of Fab, send me some stuff. Visit foreverfabpodcast.com and fill out the contact form. And if you know someone who would make a fabulous guest on the podcast, please visit foreverfabpodcast.com and fill out the contact form. For general holistic beauty tips or to set up an appointment with me to discuss your personalized options for leveling up your beauty, go to elementsandgraces.com and sign up for my newsletter and learn more. And 
for an online e-consultation on time, anytime, and on your time, visit clicklift.com for your wellness, plastic surgery, and beauty questions on the go. Visit click-lift.com. Please note, rates apply. It's time for the Elevated House Call. Jet Set Beauty RX offers beauty on-call services near your home or wherever you may be, delivering beauty in the privacy of a medically-equipped, state-of-the-art mobile aesthetics unit. Reserve your beauty at jetsetbeautyrx.com. Thank you for listening to this week's Forever Fab podcast episode. Until next time, stay beautiful and fabulous inside and out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.